Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. And I am joined by our, our guest today, who is a new friend of mine. I'm getting to know Rachel Spiegel with you all as we listen in. But thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And we're going to dive into yet another topic. I, I love bringing up new topics to cover in the Boca Podcast. We're going to actually be talking about photographing mitzvah celebrations, uh, which is something that Rachel uniquely specializes in. We're going to get into that in, in great detail here in just a little bit. I'm excited to learn a lot myself, um, as this is a particular segment of the market and, and even culture that I'm not real familiar with. So we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But to get us started, uh, as we normally do here on the Boca Podcast, I want to start with the aha moment. And I wondered if you'd be willing to share, Rachel, with our listeners, if there was a particular moment in your business that the light bulbs kind of popped on and you said, aha, I need to make some change. What, what was a moment like that for you? Absolutely. So for me, it's twofold. I studied photojournalism in college and we had lots of portfolio reviews by editors who came in from newspapers. And there was one editor who came in, Thea Bright, who looked at my portfolio and said, you know, technically everything is there, your composition, your exposure, your storytelling but I can tell from looking at your photos that this isn't what you want to do. And this isn't your passion. Wow. And that the amount of talent she has to look at a portfolio and see that is extraordinary. But that was a huge aha moment for me. And it really resonated. And I said, she's completely right. I love photography. I love telling stories, but not these stories and not in this way. And I still love photography. I continued with my degree and working in photography. And it took another 10 years to realize that my passion was bar bat mitzvahs. And when I decided to specialize, I really thought back to her advice. And I thought, I finally found what she was talking about. I finally found that passion. Wow, that's fascinating. And that's a significant turning point then in your photographic career. Did she explain in any kind of detail what made her feel that way? She didn't. It was one of those quick portfolio reviews in class where everyone takes a turn with the visiting guests. And we didn't go into depth, but yeah. I did email her a couple of years ago to thank her for that and to tell her that she had that impact on me. Wow, that's really powerful. And, and I appreciate you sharing with, that with us. And, and we're going to actually, I want to find out a little bit more about your photojournalistic background here in just a little bit. Um, but before we do that, we're going to take a step back and, and I want to hear a little bit more about you and of course, let our listeners get to know you along, uh, as well, along with me as well. Uh, but tell us a little about you, your family. Um, I think you've got a dog that you guys love too, and, um, maybe a little bit of what you do with your free time. Absolutely. So my husband and I have been married for 10 years. We just last week celebrated our oh, 10 congratulations. year anniversary. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, and we have a six-year-old son, Jack, a four-year-old Dahlia, and we have a teeny tiny four-pound Maltipoo named Ollie. Ollie. Okay. And how did you pick that name? I'm curious. Um, it's, he's a teeny tiny guy and it's actually short for elephant, which is kind of a takeoff of elephant. Oh, I love it. Okay. That's perfect. And the dog was actually a wedding, um, wedding gift for my husband. 
Oh, no way. Okay, so you, you've had this dog for a little while then. That's awesome. We have. He looks like a puppy, but he's he's an old man. <laughs> so what what is what is like the, a day in the life of the Spiegels look like? What how do you guys spend, especially that that free time that you um, create or come up with? What what does that free time look like for you guys? Sure, and I like that you asked it that way because I think it's definitely an effort to create a little free time amidst all the chaos of work and kids and and dog. My husband um, is an attorney; he's on city council, so. We have kind of crazy schedules. But I can imagine. When when we're all together, I love taking the kids to local farms, picking fruit. During the summer, we rent a chicken coop in our backyard, so we get to go out and play with the chickens. No way. And do, do you also get to collect eggs? We do. We have two hens, and each lays one egg a day. Wow. And, and have you noticed that I've never actually owned any chickens myself, um, but have you noticed a pretty significant difference in the in the flavor and even the color of the eggs versus what you might buy at the store? Yeah, they're extremely different. And don't tell my husband, but I actually prefer store-bought eggs. Oh, really? Interesting. Most people like the fresh ones. I, I guess I'm used to the store-bought. Right, right. So they just have a like a richer, darker flavor? Or what, what is the difference? That's exactly it. And I, I cook with them a lot, but when we make omelets or eat them plain, I definitely taste the difference. That's wild. Okay. So so you, you take time to, to raise these chickens, to take care of the chickens. I, I've never heard, I don't know if I've heard somebody say play with the chickens before. <laughs> well, when you have two little kids, you, that's what you do. So the kids will try and pick them up and pack them. Oh, yeah. You can feed them blueberries and other treats. That's really funny. Okay, so so yeah. what about time, say, with your husband? If you guys have free time together, what kind of stuff do you guys like to do together? Um, it's usually dinner out. We just got to go away for a couple of days for anniversary, which was phenomenal to have my parents watch the kids and take that time away. But other than that, there's, most of our time is spent with the kids. Oh, I totally get it. Totally get it. Yeah, I have two kids myself. Austin is 15. Addison is 12. I talk about them a lot in the book of podcasts. But um, really, actually, one of the big motivating factors behind a lot of what we talk about here on on the podcast, as well as why I even started Photographer's Edit in the first place, was to create more freedom and flexibility for myself as a dad. And um, that's yeah, that's so, actually what you guys have done for me, and I'm so incredibly grateful to Photographer's Edit because I was spending, as, like many photographers, hours and hours, evenings and weekends in my office at home editing and. Thanks to you guys, I'm now able to be outside with my kids to spend more time with them. And it's it's really changed my life. Oh, wow. Well, that, that's always encouraging to hear. It's, you know, a lot of times um, I am engaging with our clients or potential clients through mass communication or social media or otherwise, but to have actual individual conversations like this and to hear that kind of feedback is always encouraging. Um, it certainly made a, the company has made a big difference in my life and my freedom, my flexibility. But to know that that I'm not just running a business, but that I'm involved in a business that actually makes a difference in, in other people's lives as well is, is really encouraging. And it's ultimately very humbling. So I appreciate you sharing that. Would you say that that's one of the, the biggest tools that's made a difference in finding free time for yourself? Or are there other tools or techniques that you use in creating that free time? So Photographer's Edit, hands down, has been number one to let go of editing. So I... We'll talk about this in a little bit, but for bar and bat mitzvahs, you photograph synagogue portraits and the party. So I send the entire party to photographer's edit and to let go of culling and toning that amount of images has given me a huge amount of time. 
And then outside of that, um, I started using Tave a year and a half ago yeah. to automate invoicing, emails, contracts, and that has also saved me a lot of time. That's interesting. So I, I know that there are a variety of options out there that are CSMs or CRMs, customer relationship managers. Um, what would you say would be the, the primary reason for choosing Tave or some, over some of the other options out there? I looked at some of the other options and didn't find they offered enough customization. A lot okay. of them, the default are, are for wedding photographers, all the terminologies for a bride and a groom. And for me, I don't shoot weddings. So I needed something that I could really customize. And I found with Tave, I was able to do that. That's interesting. And, and did you find that it took you a lot of time to set set the whole system up? Because I know some of these systems, I remember one in particular, I won't name names at this point, but I know that there was one company in particular that was just notorious, uh, years ago anyway, for taking just an incredible amount of time to set up. And that was one of the big, uh, I guess, reasons why photographers didn't begin using these systems is because they had to invest so much time setting it up and they were overwhelmed with their business as it was. Sure. This was, I, I tried another system, I think a week or two before and went through the whole process of setting it up, which was very easy, but it wasn't performing the way I wanted it to. So then I went to Tave. I did the whole setup process again. It definitely took an extra day or two, but they had so many online tutorial videos that for every question I had, I could open up a video, watch the video, go into the program and take care of what I needed to. So after a couple days of setup and inputting current jobs, it was running beautifully and it was absolutely worth that investment for the setup. That's really, really great. Well, and this is something that, that I've said multiple times before in the Boca podcast, but it's really important to take advantage of tools like Tave that, you know, when you, when you look at the cost uh, to benefit ratio is free to, or, or it almost feels like it's free, but it's certainly extremely inexpensive for what you're paying and then ultimately what you get. Um, setting up a system like Tave, it may take a little bit of time up front, but that investment ultimately in using a tool that helps automate uh, a lot of the, the workflow associated with running a photography business and, and minimize the busy work is so, so important in creating this kind of freedom and this flexibility. And uh, and then, of course, to your point, your earlier point about photographers that I, I, I don't I avoid talking about PE a whole lot on the podcast because I certainly don't want it to turn into a commercial for, for photographers at it. But certainly the, the number of hours that that event photographers save being able to get rid of that busy work, as you pointed out, uh, it's so important to keep in mind those benefits. And even if it's you know, it doesn't have to be a mutually exclusive process for those of you listening in. If you haven't outsourced editing before take a small step, you know, send a portrait session in or send a small event in and take a look at it and get a feel for how the whole process works. And you might find, uh, and I surely hope you will find that, that the significant time savings is ultimately worth the, the trade-off uh, of, you know, a little bit of upfront fear, I guess, that, that things might not be exactly um, the way that you process them. Ultimately, the amount of time that you save is, is the, the massive benefit there. And uh, Photographer's Edit specializes in, in matching your editing style. So uh, I appreciate you mentioning that. I appreciate you talking about Tave. I'd love to get back into photography here and, and hear a little bit about how you got into photography. You alluded to photojournalism earlier. Tell us about your early career. Absolutely. So I always loved art and design, and I wasn't quite sure where that would take me. And I had an interest in photography. So when I was in high school, I grew up in Baltimore, and I went to an Orioles game with my family. And after the game, made my way down to the field and started shouting at the photographers, hoping someone would come over and talk to me and I could find out how they started their career. So wow. 
one of the Baltimore Sun photographers, Carl Ferran, was nice enough to come over and give me his information. So I was able to get in touch with him and talk about his career. He took me out on a shoot and I was completely sold. So I interned at the Baltimore Sun while I was in high school and only applied to schools with strong photojournalism programs. And this, so this brings us to a, a point in conversation that has come up a number of times on the podcast, but talk to me a little bit about the benefits that you see having actually gone to school for photography and how that has a, affected your career in a, in a positive way. Absolutely. So I majored in photojournalism at Syracuse University at the Newhouse School. And I just think being in an environment with a large group of other photographers, with professors, who could facilitate the conversations and portfolio reviews. I think that you can learn the basics of shooting by assisting, by going out with others. Sure. But for the most part, it's a solitary profession. You're on your own a lot of the time. And to be in a community that was so supportive was one of the, the strongest benefits of majoring in photojournalism. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard it described that way before. I've, I've known photographers that have, have gone to school for photography and others who haven't, myself included. Um, but to describe it as a community that supports you is a really fascinating concept because, you know, we can get a lot of that virtually these days, but it's a whole different dynamic, a whole different experience when you can actually interact with people, sit in <laughs> class or talk to a professor or otherwise, and have that in-person support, that in-person community. So that's really fascinating to me. Now, how did you transition from that photojournalistic work to event photography? So I worked, I entered at a bunch of newspapers and the last newspaper, second to last newspaper I worked at was a really tiny newspaper in Bitterford, Maine called the Bitterford Journal Tribune. I worked there for a year right after college and I was laid off. They replaced me with point and shoots for the sports reporters. As <laughs> oh, no. and right. Um, so I moved back to Baltimore and was doing some work for the sun and some freelance work. My mother is actually a bar and bat mitzvah planner in Baltimore. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. And she had clients who wanted something different. They didn't want their photographer to move their chin this way and adjust them so I shot one or two events for her clients, and then over the years, each year shot more and more bar and bat mitzvahs on top of my next newspaper job and the other freelance work I was doing. Wow. What a, what a great connection to have there with, <laughs> with your mom being a planner. That's a huge, huge benefit. Do you guys work together a good bit now? Um, probably once or twice a year. She's up in Baltimore and I live outside of DC in Gaithersburg in Maryland suburbs. Okay. So we're about an hour away from each other. So there's a little overlap, but our area, there's so many events that it's not a ton. Okay. Okay. Now this idea of photographing, I mean, if, if you go to uh, your website and, and for those of you listening in, make sure that you go to Rachel's website. It's Rach, R-A-C-H. Spiegel, S-P-I-E-G-E-L.com. Is that correct, Rachel? It is, yes. Okay, cool. And um, I'm actually, I have that pulled up here in front of me right now. But I, one of the things that we talk about a lot on the Boca podcast is the importance of specializing and having a really clear and distinct brand position. Um, and you, you do this maybe better than anybody that I have seen yet. I mean, you can't get any more clear than saying right under your name, bar and bat mitzvah photography. And, um, and of course, what, what helps set you apart even more is that there really aren't, as far as I know, in fact, I've never met a photographer that is specialized specifically in this type of photography. Um, I, I would assume that you're a pretty unique photographer, even in your area. Yes. 
Absolutely. I've, I've shot bar and bat mitzvahs for 14 years. I specialized three years ago. So I, like a lot of photographers starting out, was shooting some weddings and portraits and corporate work and saying yes to whatever came along as I built my business. I quit my last newspaper job in 2005. So I've been on my own since then. And as I shot more and more bar and bat mitzvahs, I, I would get nervous shooting the weddings. I like shooting family portraits, but there was so much competition in the area. But every bar and bat mitzvah I shot, I was so excited to go to that shoot and to go to work. So as my business grew, I got to a point where I was able to say to myself, why don't I just shoot what I love and stop absolutely everything else? So I did that three years ago. And I, at the time, I didn't know no one else in the country specialized. There are so many photographers who shoot bar and bat mitzvahs, but also do weddings and portraits. So taking taking that chance to turn away all other work and only do bar and bat mitzvahs was this huge step. But it's been so enjoyable for me. And I think it's also really helped my business grow. That's really cool. And, and I love the point that you made. I, there was a, a little phrase within a sentence you said just a, a minute or two ago that caught my attention, which was that there was so much competition uh, from other portrait photographers. And that, that might seem like kind of a mundane statement, but, but the reality is this is a really significant uh, statement when it comes to understanding your business model and ultimately the brand position that you decide to set up for your business. Because the more that you do the same thing that everybody else is doing, the, the less um, that you're going to be able to book or at least book easily. And the, the sooner that you as a, a photographer, our listeners um, of the Boca podcast today, decide on a very, very clear and distinct brand position, something that truly sets you apart from the competition, um, the sooner that you'll be able to uh, ideally more quickly build business, but certainly be able to market yourself much more. Uh, much easier than if you were to say, hey, I, I shoot weddings, I shoot portraits, I shoot sports, I do seniors, I do this thing, I do that thing. Um, totally understand the idea of shooting as much as you can initially, certainly to get as much business as possible, and even to experiment a bit, uh, which is something that we've talked about in the podcast before. But ultimately landing on a very, very specific style of photography or genre to begin with, and then a specific style within that in order to clear, clearly set yourself apart from the competition, it's just going to make your job easier. It's going to make it easier for people to find you, and uh, certainly um, it'll make it easier to, to book the clients in the end. So this is a really great example for those listening in. I'm, I'm curious how, maybe you can explain in a little bit more detail how you landed specifically on uh, mitzvah celebration photography. And, and, you know, I mean, there, there are many potential positions that you could have taken out there. You landed on this specifically, enjoyed it so much. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So in addition to my mother being a bar mitzvah planner and growing up in that universe, I also went to Jewish day school from kindergarten all the way through high school. So for me, this is my universe is growing up, going to day school around bar and bat mitzvahs. It's very comfortable to me, the flow of an event, the meaning behind the event. I really deeply understand and appreciate. So for me to be able to bring my documentary photography background to a bar and bat mitzvah and to, to document the day for families is an absolute joy. It's the culmination of, of my religious background, my schooling, and my professional life. Wow, uh, that's a brilliant summation of it all. And and speaking of that cultural background, I'm really curious if you'd kind of 
dive into this culture uh, of bar and bat mitzvahs and um, kind of the, the cultural traditions that are associated with them for certainly myself. I'd love to, to have a little bit more context for the conversation and also bring our listeners in and educate them if they're not familiar with the, the uh, traditions as well. Absolutely. A bar or bat mitzvah, a bar mitzvah is for a boy, a bat mitzvah is for a girl. It's when a Jewish child turns 13 for a boy or 12 for a girl, and they become an adult in the eyes of Judaism, and they become an active member of the religious community. And that's typically celebrated with the child reading from the Torah in Hebrew during a synagogue service on a Saturday morning. There are many other ways to celebrate, including having the child lead the service, doing an alternate service. It really depends on the family. Many synagogues, they also require the mitzvah child to volunteer or pick a community service project or charity to work on during the year that they're preparing for their bar bat mitzvah. And that symbolizes them joining the community and becoming an active member of that community. So I would assume that these these ceremonies go back probably hundreds of years or even more, correct? Absolutely. The bat mitzvah is relatively new. So I had a bat mitzvah when I turned 13, but my my mother, my mother-in-law did not. So Interesting. Okay. In Judaism, girls don't typically, in more religious synagogues, aren't allowed to read from the Torah. So in certain synagogues, they are. In others, they aren't. So in more religious circles, you don't have bat mitzvahs. And I think that's why it's a relatively new ceremony. Huh, that's really interesting. Now, is there a kind of a typical order of events for these ceremonies? Kind of like like I, I might experience it at a wedding. It's predictable. You know what's coming up next. Is it similar with these celebrations? It is. So outside of the synagogue service, families celebrate that service with a party. And most of the traditional parties will be held in a ballroom with 100 to 200 guests, a DJ and a dinner. But celebrating, there's so many different forms. I've shot bar mitzvahs at bowling alleys, at an outdoor ropes course. Some people will just have a small family lunch. The heart of the bar bat mitzvah is to celebrate the child. So at a traditional evening bar mitzvah party in a ballroom, you'll definitely have a standard order of events. So for me, I always arrive early to shoot the details of the room, maybe centerpieces about something the child likes escort cars, that kind of thing. And then we'll typically do an hour of extended family portraits before the party starts. I always ask clients to do that because I shoot the party strictly documentary. So I will not pose guests, set guests up. I'll shoot small groups if they approach me, but I won't shoot table shots. So we'll do those extended groupings before the party starts. And then once we get into the party, you'll have cocktail hour where the adults and kids are separate because it really is a party to celebrate a 13-year-old. So the kid and all their friends will typically go into the ballroom and play games with the DJ while the adults get to talk out in the lobby. And once um, everyone enters the ballroom, you'll have introductions of the host family, a welcome speech by the parents, then a blessing over the bread and wine. Everyone will sit for dinner. And then the kids... Typically, once the kids eat faster than the adults, so they'll play games. <laughs> Surprise! <with> Surprise! <laughs> they eat their chicken nuggets and their French fries, and then they need to be entertained. Um, and then during that point, we'll usually do a group shot with all the kids. The DJ will get you know 50, 75 kids onto the dance floor for a big group shot, and 
a lot of events they'll do a candle lighting. So they'll have 13 candles and the bar mitzvah boy will read a short poem about each, maybe aunts and uncles, grandparents that mean something to them. And they will come up and light a candle. And it's a nice way to honor certain guests. And then there'll be a slideshow or a montage that usually lasts 10 minutes with photos from the kid's life. Some people will do a parent-child dance, but everyone, everyone always does a hora. And a hora is a traditional circle dance where everyone gets on the dance floor. The bar mitzvah boy or bat mitzvah girl is hoisted up in a chair above everyone's heads in the middle. Um, oftentimes the siblings and the parents are up in the chair as well. Oh, wow. And that really gets the dancing going. It's incredible to photograph. It's the highlight of the, the evening for me. And then you just dance the rest of the night and goodbye hugs and the evening. Wow. Okay. So you're really, really specific about that, but it's, it sounds like yeah. this is a, <laughs> um, a pretty traditional kind of order of events, if you will. It is pretty consistent that way. It is. Um, if you're doing an evening party with a DJ, that's really the typical timeline. Some people don't do a candle lighting. It takes too much time. Some don't do a montage or parent-child dance. But this is the typical flow of events. Huh. That's really interesting. Now, I, I've heard um, or have read that, that some of these parties can turn into pretty lucrative uh, events. Is, is that the case? I mean, do they kind of range from just like weddings from kind of the, the, the less expensive to... Uh, well, as I said, the, the lucrative event? They do. You can go small and rent out a small room, have you know a small buffet. And I shot events with huge floral centerpieces, linens and uplighting, decor. So it, you can go as big or as small as you want. I find my favorite events aren't necessarily the big ones. I've shot events you know, in, in small rooms of restaurants where they had good music and everyone was up and having fun. Yeah. For me, that's what makes it a blast to photograph. For sure, yeah. Some of those, uh, some of those smaller the weddings that I've photographed, um, the more intimate events like that are so enjoyable, especially when you got great people involved. Uh, and uh, yeah, you don't have to have the fancy background uh, or the the fancy uh, details in order to make it a, a really great event to photograph, especially just as an experience. Um, so anyway, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm curious what the the, the biggest challenges. Uh, innate to photographing mitzvahs, uh, what those might be. Sure. So in addition to shooting the party, we also do a portrait session in the synagogue. And most synagogues don't allow you to shoot the actual service. There, okay. in, in the D.C. area, there are maybe three out of dozens and dozens of synagogues that allow it. So since you're not allowed to shoot the service, families like to have photographs to commemorate that it's not just a party, that it is about reading the Torah and being in synagogue. So we will go really any time the month before to the synagogue with the immediate family for a portrait session. And for me, it's challenging because you want relaxed portraits and you really want to convey the relationship the parents and children have, but you are in a more formal atmosphere where maybe it's not as appropriate to joke around or jump around. So <laughs> sure. finding that balance is important. And you're also, and I think with the age of your kids could really appreciate this. You're shooting a 13 year old who's wearing a suit on a weekday in a synagogue, maybe not the first place he wants to be and might be feeling a little uncomfortable at that age. So for me, one of the biggest challenges is, 
relating to the kids, getting them to feel comfortable with me enough to really look relaxed and happy in portraits. Hmm. That's, and it sounds, I mean, in, in that way, it sounds very similar to many other scenarios, including weddings um, or even portrait sessions. You know, ultimately, it's trying to figure out in whatever environment it might be, how to make the client most comfortable and, and enjoy themselves. So you pull some real emotion out. What, what would you say would the, what, what are the biggest rewards? Because I know you're just extremely, extremely passionate about this. And part of that has to do with your, your background. But I, I'm curious what the biggest rewards are in actually photographing the parties uh, and these, these sessions as well. I think having that background and understanding about the work that goes into a bar brat mitzvah, that there's so much buildup to the event for the family, that the child has been learning to read Torah for a year. They, maybe they had no background with Hebrew, so they've had to learn a new alphabet and a new language and how to read it and how to sing it and wow. perform in front of a big crowd. That's a lot for a kid. It really is. So just knowing how much has gone into this for the child and for the family to be able to capture all of that emotion in images and, and to see the family's reaction when they see those images is hugely rewarding for me. Well, that's, that's really beautiful. And again, for those listening in, if you want to take a look at some of Rachel's work, just make sure to go to, to Rach, R-A-C-H-S-P-I-E-G-E-L, rachspiegel.com. And, uh, and I'll go ahead and mention this too. Your Instagram account is mitzvah photo. Is that right? Yes. So it's M I T Z V V as in Victor A H and then photo mitzvah photo. Uh, you guys make sure you check out the Instagram account as well. And you can see some of Rachel's work there. Um, I'm curious for, for those photographers listening in who are interested in breaking into this market and, um, where, wherever they may live, are there some things that they should consider, um, if, if they want to, to move in that direction, what are the things, what are some, some elements of that process that they might think about? For me, I feel like I've kind of fallen into this fairly naturally. So I spoke with another mitzvah photographer, um, Kristen Goldscher. I actually photographed both of her child's mitzvahs over the past few years for advice. And she suggested really making sure a photographer educate themselves on what a B'nai mitzvah is and the important parts. And then once they understand the event, to reach out to established photographers and offer to assist them at an event or a portrait shoot to observe the flow of events at the synagogue portraits, what everything is called, what you do, how to hold the Torah, and then to network with local synagogues, Jewish friends and event planners to get the word out that this is something that you're interested in shooting. Okay, so let me break that down just a little bit. I mean, the education piece is so important, obviously, and and, and uh, this would apply even to myself today as you were kind of letting me into the, the cultural significance and background associated with these events. Um, it's interesting to consider, of course, the way that the events themselves even flow, and you have to be aware of that, certainly to be a good photographer. Um, and then assisting at events gives you that further context um, to what the experience is like and, of course, gives you an opportunity to ask more questions and then the networking, and you mentioned connecting with synagogues. Is that uh, as well as the coordinators? Do the coordinators put you in touch with the synagogues? Is there actual conversations that happen with the synagogues? Um, most of my kind of networking and communication is with the event planners who are coordinating the party. Um, with the synagogues, we're really just there to shoot the portraits. We're not shooting the actual event. I think in terms of booking bar and bat mitzvahs, it might be helpful for someone coming into the industry to network at synagogues. Maybe the synagogue will have 
an open house for families who are having their bar abutments there in the next year. Oh, interesting. So that's, okay. that's an in for a photographer to go and meet with people. But in terms of actually booking events, I think most referrals would come from um, current clients, friends, and event planners. Interesting. Okay. And, and that, of course, stands true with, with weddings, wedding photographers in particular. And I've told of my experiences as a wedding photographer and the significance of the relationship with a particular wedding coordinator in the Chattanooga area that just made a massive difference um, in our photography business. But um, that's interesting that it stands true even with this particular type of event. Uh, I, I still feel like the, like the naive guy, and, and I, there's so much here that, that I could ask, so many questions I could ask, and so much to learn. Um, but I do appreciate you sharing, taking the time to share with, with myself and with our listeners today um, about the significance of, of these events, what it's like to photograph them, and ultimately your passion. I, I love the passion that you exude talking about these, even after photographing them for this long. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing, and it's a good reminder for us. Again, this has been a bit of a theme as of late in the Boca podcast, but finding your why, finding your passion, the thing that really drives you and doing that, looking for an opportunity to do that, it's so, so important. And uh, again, I, I really appreciate you taking time to share that passion with us today, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And and um, I, it's... I just want to share one more time uh, for our listeners. If you guys want to go take a look at Rachel's work, um, follow what she's doing, and maybe even throw a question or two out to her. If you want to go to rachspiegel.com, R-A-C-H-S-P-I-E-G-E-L.com. And then Instagram, it's mitzvah photo, M-I-T-Z, V as in Victor, A-H photo, mitzvah photo. Uh, Make sure you follow Rachel there. And uh, Rachel, once again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com dot com.